This is a Forwardly podcast. Dateline, Hollywood, California. There are eight million stories in the naked city. Why is it that Tinseltown can seem to tell those stories worth a damn? Never fear, dear listeners. There is a cure for this condition. Is there a doctor in the house? In fact, there's two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in Comparable. Many have tried, few have survived. And by we, of course, I mean none other than my always incomparable colleague, Dr. D. How are you, Dr. D? I am uh, daddy is what I am. I'm wearing my dad hat. Uh, literally. <laughs> yes, literally. Oh, that's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. I had, I'll just, uh, I'll just say as an aside, um, I had asked for this hat, but I, I didn't want it to say daddy on it. I just said, I love the look of this hat. If it could not say daddy, just find a different hat that has these attributes. And apparently... Why did you why did you have some patch embroidered over it? Well, because, you know, now that my wife and kids have presented to me as a gift on Father's Day, I'm stuck with it. I can't... Uh, how long ago was that gift oh it's maybe two years ago something like that way past the point at which anyone should be calling me daddy my kids are in their 20s that's a pretty uh worn out uh worn out cap there well yeah no no i I rarely wear it it was designed to look you know like it had oh it was distressed yeah it was distressed so what was it what (laughs) was it about it that 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 drew you to that particular cap uh the color and the distressed i like the distressed actually hold on just reset and ask me how i'm doing tonight okay how are you, Dr. D? I am distressed, <laughs> much like my hat. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to circumvent all of the stuff we'd already said. We can move no, on no, no, that's here. good. We're going to shave, shave time off this episode Dr. anyway. Dr. G, how are you doing? That's more important than how I'm doing. Uh, I am uh, also distressed. Uh-oh. More because of the world oh, yeah, and because of anything we're going to talk about here tonight. Yes, it is. But uh, diving into here this. we are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is an exciting, uh, different kind of an episode for us. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about what we're doing here? Well, given the wealth of riches in this year's Oscar nominees, we decided to double up and present you with a double feature of... Hot contenders for this year's awards. Love it. And we we thought we'd come out of the gate with the two darkest films in the stable. Whoa. <laughs> or maybe yeah. we should say the darkest horses in the stable. Darkest horses. Nightmare Alley and The Power of the Dog. I don't know about you, Dr. D, but I want to cut right in with Nightmare Alley. Yeah, let's and, get into it. And just try to rave about it as much as I can in the next 30 minutes. Yes. I really loved it. I thought it was not just a sumptuous feast for the eyes, but I thought it presented a moral ambiguity, the likes of which we haven't seen in movies very often these days, uh, taking situations that were plausible in the past and making them feel plausible in the in the present somehow um dreamcast 
and everyone was spot on perfect. I I thought, quite honestly, this was the best film noir since Chinatown. And I don't say that lightly wow. because I love L.A. Confidential, but I don't consider it a noir. Okay. Not like this. Yes, this has its uh, its roots firmly planted in in uh, you know old school noir. Yeah. It's very it's very origin, you know. I can't say that I have as that I can be as effusive as you are about it. Um uh but I I thought it was really just beautifully made, but I did I it's it is a stunning cast. I love Guillermo del Toro. I just feel like he is such a distinctive uh director that here is one of the few times we haven't seen him dealing with like creatures or bizarreness. You know, sometimes he goes right. off into areas that are completely, you know, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastical. Both. And so here it's all being played, you know, v- fairly straight w- within the, within the context that it is a, um, you know, he's, he's built a world that is, is, you know, a hundred years old or 90, 80, 90 years old. And yet the first half of the movie, there's, this tension i feel because of the the the, the carnival setting mm-hmm. th- th- that you're expecting some f- you know a genuine freak or something really unsettling to 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 work its way in and it it really doesn't not in the, the way the only true monsters in the film <laughs> are people are people um yeah i would say that be even even because it's it's uh, Del Toro, you have that extra idea that you know Doug Doug Jones is gonna come out come out from around a corner. He's the he's the actor that uh, Del Toro has used a couple of times. Uh, notably, I think he played the uh, the creature in uh, Shape of Water. And um, oh, so he's he's Del Toro's uh, Andy Circus. Yeah, basically. basically. Yes, I don't okay. mean to diminish either Andy Circus or Doug Jones for that, but. Um, yeah, you ex- you half expect when they are talking about a geek and and you know there's a sort of a half man half creature that it might be more creature than man. I feel like uh, Bradley Cooper is very well cast, and he was fantastic. You know, he sounded like guys from movies of that time. <laughs> right. He just he just like and consistently all the way through, no matter what emotion the character was playing. Right. He was just fantastic. It didn't feel uh, tacked on. It didn't feel added on. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like he was acting. Uh, it really uh, didn't feel like anyone was acting. Right. Kate Blanchett was like a, a essentially a femme fatale type. Oh yeah. And not um, even type. She she was. She was. And uh, and she was just beautiful in that. She oh. never ages. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't she... know that until I saw this movie. I realized. <laughs> right. Well, that's it. There's a handful yeah, of she... actors and actresses who every time you, we were just watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt on a talk show and we're like, oh yeah, wow. I mean, except maybe a little bit of hairline changing, but um, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe. Um, I mean, it's just the Willem Dafoe, uh, Richard Jenkins, who I adore, and it just goes on mm-hmm. and on. Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, um, so many. Even who's the oh oh Colt McElhaney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have this real soft spot for her. So when I saw him, I was like, "Yes!" And you know, playing a Me bodyguard. Too. Yeah, it was that was a meaty little role for him. I right. like that. 
and even Tim Blake Nelson, who you don't see enough of in movies as far as I'm concerned. And and he was spot on here, not in it for long, but just uh, just right. Uh, yeah, so it's not like, I don't think we have time to do our usual scene by scene, oh, I love this or I no. love that. But what, um, I mean, even just the, just the very opening where there's a house just on fire and a man walking away from it and... And so you don't know any of those details. You just know he has a past. And whether we're going to mm-hmm. learn more about it or not learn more about it, or whether it's going to impact one storyline intruding on the other, right. doesn't matter. We just know he's getting away from something and he needs to he needs to disappear a little bit. Perfect amount of uh, revelation of his of his character's torment, I thought, I think throughout so the too. whole thing. Yeah, just sprinkled in throughout. And so by the time you get the full um thing of it you 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 really do understand um so is there a scene or a sequence or something that really stood out to you as something you want to go hey this was a highlight oh boy i know there's a lot because it is it's on the long side two and a half hours it is it is um is there a particular scene? It's still a little fresh for me. I'm only a couple of days right. past seeing it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Mm. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it, it might just be that very last scene. <laughs> that is, yeah, we're not going to get into and, it. I think and, we'll just And the last line, from... which is just, yeah. I mean, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. See, and, and that's so funny because I want to talk to you about the line, but I don't want to give away the very end of the. You know, I don't want to. This is one of those movies that goes down right to the end. Um, there is no sort of, you know, denouement, really, or whatever. It's just all the way down to the end. You've got, you still got something coming. Um, so maybe off air, I'll talk to you a little bit about it. Well, there's much I can say. Is that, mm, no, I won't even say that. Sorry. I'll, never mind okay. any of this. Get, get rid of as much of it as we need to. Um, yeah, I also love the dialogue. I liked uh, hearing a lot of these old colloquialisms and, and phrasings of things that, much like uh, much like L.A. Confidential, and much like um, a movie I thought of while I was watching this, Miller's Crossing. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they they there's none of those expository scenes where they, you know, somehow define whatever phrase or terminology they're using it's like you either figure it out or you don't right they use it move on and and catch up with us or or you know buy another ticket and watch it again (laughs) i i I love ron perlman saying are you two bumping are you bumping gums (laughs) right (laughs) and i liked when uh kate blanchett's telling uh uh bradley cooper about uh her past and he says uh You'll get jazzy together, like <laughs> right. <laughs> and and the beauty of that line is, is that it's her response that clues you into what he meant, because of the way she's like, "Of course not." <laughs> it's like, right? Oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> that's what he meant. Uh, that's awesome. And when I think about something like, um, I'm thinking about, I don't know, let's just say, uh, the Maltese Falcon. Uh, this just had layers to it that you don't often see in the writing anymore. Um, there's just so much packed in here with, we start with the fire, we go to the, uh, the circus, uh, you know, 
the relationships that develop there, and then eventually he he leaves the circus and. Um, well, progress, seeing it progress from just Carney to act, right? To to, to one of the to, acts, to, and yeah, then specialist taking it on his yeah, own and going off yeah. on his own, and then getting involved with the with uh, um, Kate's uh, Rooney Mara, Rooney Mara, yeah. But Kate Blanchett's uh, the therapist, and that oh, yeah, leading yeah, yeah. him into uh, working with uh, the wealthy, uh, you know, in the I'm not sure was that supposed to be New York. Apparently, Buffalo. Buffalo. That's where they okay. shot it. Okay. But it was Buffalo standing in for Manhattan, though, or something. Or was it supposed oh, to be Oh, you mean when he's with... Uh, I don't know if those sequences were shot in Buffalo, but yes, the, I think that was it was supposed to be Manhattan. Manhattan High Society, and, and you yeah. start to see the darker edges. Because that's, that's one of those things that keeps running through the old... Um, or through some of them, anyway. The noir is the how the wealthy have all these dirty secrets and things that are going on that are, you know, bring them down to our level or maybe even lower. And that's kind of where we get... Um, was that the Richard Jenkins? You know, Richard Jenkins' uh, mansion yeah. does not really suggest Manhattan. That's true, but I was assuming that it was sort of like... You know, At a little that bit time, Upper West Side. A little bit, um, uh, maybe Upper West Side, but 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 it even could just be out, just outside the. You know, it could be Manhattan adjacent. Connecticut. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't. It, that may not be strictly in in Manhattan. Um, now, I think you are familiar with probably not the source material, of the book, but the original. No, you know, I, I've, I've always known of it. It sort of falls into the category, I think, of a B film noir. It's uh-huh. not one of the classics that gets touted out as a prime example. Um, but no, I never, I, I never have seen it. So you've never seen that first one? I haven't either, honestly. No. I thought you had. Okay, so that's cool. One thing I, w- I was thinking while I was watching it, I mean, it is really... B- it's beautiful. It's it's lit well. The the sets, the costumes, all of that maison scène, you know, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is is very rich and textured and and evocative and so on and so forth. But part of me almost felt like God, I wish they had been able to shoot this in black and white. I wish that you know. Funny you should say that. Yeah. Uh oh. Because apparently, in January they did a limited release. In black and white. That's what I was wondering. That's kind of what I was hoping. I missed it. That's too bad. Um, I didn't hear of it if it coming out. Well, it certainly didn't come out in black and white down here in these parts. Right. I'm, but, I'm uh, sure I could just, you know, adjust my settings on my TV and watch it in black and white. But I'd much rather see, you know, a print that was supervised by uh, Del Toro himself and, you know, would be pristine and... And just the way he would want to see it, rather than me just doing a video version of turning it into a black and white film, if you follow me. Yes. Um, so now, yeah, I will say there were a couple of little things that bothered me. All right. That I, I, you know, so simple to correct, but, and it's basically that I thought I felt that a couple of times there was some anachronistic dialogue. Oh. And I have two lines specifically um, that I'm thinking of. One is when Bradley Cooper 
is is guessing Richard Jenkins' past for the first time, and he uses the word abort, abort the baby. Okay. And the word existed, but I don't think it was commonly bandied about. Like, mm. it, 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 I don't think it was, it was something that was just readily said. Yeah. As opposed to saying, made her lose the baby, you know, or something, you know, the, the, the movie was very, uh, very limited in its use of profanity. Right. And it seemed very organic when it did come up. So I kind of wish that there was that level of attention to the to the dialogue as well. The other one which bothered me possibly a little more is when it's he's explaining his cold reading techniques yeah. to Kate Blanchett and he says, uh, everyone has mommy issues or daddy issues. Oh. Not in nineteen, not in the twenties, but not in nineteen forty, right. buddy. Right. Psychiatry was still like looked at as like something's wrong with yeah. you if you're going to a psychiatrist. It hadn't gained currency in everyday culture, right? But and so you can even argue just the fact that he's that comfortable going through a psychiatry session is already a little bit of a wrinkle. But I. I I certainly don't think that by 1940, 41, yeah. mommy issues, daddy issues was A, commonly, you know, sourced as people's problems, yeah. and B, and as a phrase. Trying yeah. to give a quick look to see, you know, it, it really, the idea of mommy and daddy issues spring from, from Freud. And I think, you know, but that that kind of a phrase, the concept of it is coming out in the... 30s and the 40s but the phrase yeah. you know mommy issues or daddy issues is a little too glib and a yeah, little too... how much does he know about psychiatry that that's just you know right <laughs> a given right or that it's so, such a common that it would you know roll off his tongue like that yeah the carney who reads freud i don't think so <laughs> well he was a very impressive carney i will say so let's take a minute to talk about it you know in the various uh here's the thing with all that we're saying about the performances and everything else it's it is nominated for best picture this is the oscar part of this conversation it is nominated for best picture but none of those actors are nominated yeah that's uh i don't know i mean i you know we can we can save that for uh, yeah we can get into that but uh, get into a nominations well here's the thing is that episode later but yeah that is funny that no that no one was nominated for acting. For, Certainly Cooper should have been. Well, what I wonder is if, um, well, if he, <clears throat> specifically Cooper, uh, when was, um, when was Star is Born? Uh, wasn't that 2020? Yeah, I think it's two years ago, but he got a, a great deal of attention as a, director and as a, a bunch of things and i think he was nominated for acting there too and so in some yeah. ways you you start you there may be this thing where he's being compared against himself and and not coming well, it, the, i don't know there have been subsequent nominations of the you know from year to year i mean yeah. you look at someone like meryl streep or nicole kidman there's clearly no hesitance hesitancy in in nominating them that's that is true frequently <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. It's not like you know. Okay, oh, well, this isn't Merrill's year. We got to skip. <laughs> we remember we got to skip a year. Right. No. Right. Well, then I guess. Uh, I guess I'll keep that thought further to myself. I was nominated for original screenplay, and I feel like that's like a fair uh, thing to include there because there was a lot. There was so many moving parts in that. Um, well, and, and I'm, I'm guessing surely it was nominated for everything visual under the sun. Oh, right. 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 Okay. Because the visuals are really what, yes. what, what packs the punch yeah. here. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's great that Del Toro did this because I feel like he has, obviously he has such a gift with visuals, mm-hmm. but there are so many visuals here on the side and in the background that have a lot of foreshadowing and, and meaning that you can easily not get the first time. Right. Right. Um, you know, like, like for example, when he, when he, in the beginning, when he goes to find the geek in that house of damnation, right. <laughs> uh, I, I believe he actually, but he, at one point he, he passes some board that has the, the seven deadly sins written on it. Oh. Um, and then a mirror saying, you know, take a look at yourself and, Mm. things like that mm. and i believe he actually commits every oh every, every one, one of those, those seven, seven sins, sins. by the time the story is over that's fantastic um and one thing i had read which i'm really angry that i didn't hmm. catch the first time oh really which is that when a little bit of a spoiler alert here folks when he hides out in the train yeah. Behind the chicken crate. Yes. There's an overhead shot that frames him like the tarot card of the oh, hanged man. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Who thinks of shit like that? I, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Where did you stand on um, on Shape of Water? I can't recall at this point. Uh, I thought there were... There were worthwhile things about it. I thought uh, it was an interesting premise that didn't quite get make it all as way. far as it could have. And uh, I certainly don't think it it was worthy of best picture. Okay. And do you feel that this one shows a growth for Del Toro as a filmmaker and a storyteller? Um, shying away well, from you know, should this win, but but yeah. Well, I mean. I think to some extent, yes, if only because he's not relying on the fantastical to move right. the story forward. Right. Um, that these are all, there's no supernatural element. That yeah. These are all very it's... human concerns and and motives, and he doesn't really shy away from considering the full ramifications of the decisions that the characters make. Right. So in a way, I, I mean, like on one level, you could say that this is for him akin to, if you remember uh, Heavenly Creatures, the Peter Jackson yeah. film with Kate Winslet about the two girls, uh, that was also relatively non-fantasy. There's a brief sequence. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would say... I, I would hate to say that if his next movie is a return to fantasy... Yeah. I hate to say... I, I would hate to feel like it's a step back. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what you just said there is very valid. I did want to just sort of touch on the fact that, um, yeah, he's he's almost certainly out of his comfort zone here in the sense that 
you know, his wheelhouse. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is it was interesting. I don't. I'm sure you've seen it, but I don't know how well you remember. Oh yeah. It. Oh yeah. Um, he he certainly. It was almost as though there were two different, almost like an Alice in Wonderland kind of a thing there, because it's it's ground in a very, very realistic, very serious and relatable and identifiable, and human situation with uh you know world war ii and so on and so forth so and and that all all of that stuff is is um played out the way you'd think it would be so it was i i certainly i certainly could see within his past work the ability to do this i wasn't sort of taken oh yeah i I mean the story lends itself to yeah extreme visuals and then he but he keeps up the, the this this visual style and elegance even when we're in the 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 second half right even yeah the, when we're where it's we're not in the carnival anymore but but we're in you know just beautiful architecture and set design and and it's just gorgeous to look at everywhere along the way yeah um the other thing i wanted to say just just as long as we're talking about del toro is in some ways and i i don't mean this as an insult in some ways he reminds me a little bit of uh, terry gilliam in that, I can remember watching, uh, oh, what's that one he did? <sighs> Time Bandits. No, after that. Fisher King. Twelve Monkeys. The one about the old man in the circus and the Robin Williams played the moon and Munchausen. Oh, right. I remember watching like the tales of Baron von Munchausen or whatever that Munchausen. <clears throat> yeah. Whatever that was called. And uh and thinking, oh, this this director is capable of making anything. You know? Like yeah. that any visual can be achieved. But the problem that I have with Gilliam over the years is that he seems more interested in the visuals and other things than he is in telling a story that's coherent from the beginning to the end. And it often just becomes kind of uh, very unsatisfying to me in the way I want to hear a story told. Uh, Brazil is an exception. Fisher King would be an exception. Oh, oh yeah. I'm not as familiar with that. It didn't really strike me. Wow. Oh, okay. I'll go look. I'll go look. All right. <laughs> All right, Adam. If you want to pretend you have an opinion when you haven't seen the movies. <laughs> but the thing is, I never feel that way about Del Toro. I always feel like the story is safe, even if it's going to be a little weird. Um, and so here I got, I got both the incredible visuals and, and a story that really packs a punch. And Folks, if you haven't seen it by now, you really, really must. Absolutely. Um, I think it's time to move on to our uh, second, uh, second feature here. Jane um, Campion's Power of the Dog. Why don't you, why don't you, start the the volley here uh before we really just get into the nuts and bolts of uh of the sort of the screen craft involved and the and the the various um you know everything that goes into making a movie um i think it's worth taking a moment just to 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 note that there's i hate to call it like something an important movie because then it automatically makes it seem weird but it's definitely exploring uh, a theme that we don't get to see a lot in um it's even hard to say mainstream because I'm not sure how mainstream this movie is, but it feels like a studio movie. It's a big picture. It's 
it's it's a uh, yeah. you know it's got its head up you know so that it can be seen um and it the movie uh, we're talking about power of the dog here uh is an exploration of um closeted homosexuality in the late 1800s i think or early 19 early 19 maybe maybe sure um in the old west uh or within that sort of um right context and yes and so when when i'm watching it it's hard for me not to think about something like brokeback mountain which had a similar high profile and also a, a similar number of cowboy hats and um and it was an exploration of of male love um and this one is because Without... yeah because of the closeted oh, nature ahead, this isn't necessarily exploring love openly but it's it's yeah, I think I think the the for me the big difference between the two, as I recall, broke back because it's been a long time sure. since I've seen it, but I don't uh, recall that concentrating so much on what it has been referred to in the context of Power of the Dog yeah. as toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall them spending a whole lot of time so aggressively camouflaging their gayness it was a secret but it wasn't they weren't going overboard in the other direction right in fact you know if there was my guess is that the characters in brokeback mountain not to get too much into a movie that neither of us can really recall but those those guys would have gone to local shit kicker bars and and listened to loud music and 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 they would not have gone to gay bars and you know they they would have still been closeted in their own lives in that way but wouldn't necessarily have been beating guys up in a parking lot or, you know, uh, simply to, um, right. well, let me ask you a question just to clarify something. Cause I'm not quite sure okay. where I stand. Um, I see Phil's behavior toxic though. It may be the way he's basically bullying, uh, the young boy character who we might be Pete. I gotta look that up. Um, <laughs> so bad at this. It's toxic, but it, it is coming from a place where he's sort of trying to save his own life in the sense that he doesn't want anyone else to suspect his truest feelings. Right. Which right. doesn't make it less toxic, but it makes it it makes me appreciate the and understand the characters functioning a little bit better. Um, it, it, it gives you empathy for him yeah, on, some on some level yes without without like letting somebody off the hook um, hmm. it, it almost makes it more tragic in a way um, hmm. so I it's it's yeah I feel like I'm getting into a weird place where I'm going oh no it's okay to do this if you have a good reason that's not what I'm saying at all <laughs> you hear that bullies <laughs> yeah that's not that's not where I'm headed. Um, what were your first, what were your thoughts about the wh- when you watched it? Were you like, oh, geez, I can't take this toxic masculinity, or what were your feelings? Oh, I, I, I definitely didn't feel that. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was. Uh, I, I thought it handled it beautifully. I thought mm. it, it it made a great point. In, I mean. It's his his 
his treatment of the kid in the in that first scene when they're all sitting down for, oh, yeah. for dinner. I mean, it it it's borderline like like jocks tormenting the right. you know the 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 water revenge boy, the of the nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I you know I believe we've we've seen this beat before. Yeah, where uh, you know it, it's 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 camouflaging one's own you know, what one doesn't want to admit about themselves. Um, it, it seemed very credible to me that this could happen in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it, I thought it did great. I think it, and uh, yeah, now I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, it's funny because when you were saying about how, you know, like you, when you, when you know where it's coming from, that it, it sort of makes it a little different for you. For some reason, I flashed on Welcome to the Dollhouse. There's the bit in that movie about this, this bully yeah. who keeps, t- you know, taunting her with like, you know, I'm going to rape you. You're going to get raped after school today mm. and whatnot. And then when she finally meets with him after school, he just kisses her. It's like he oh, you know, oh, can't, wow. can't, can't admit that you like her in public. Right. Right, right, so you got to go the opposite direction. It's that it's that same thing. That sounds like I got to watch that, um, not because I like taunting. Have not, what? Have you never seen that? I movie? don't think I have. Did you just ruin it for me? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I should. Uh, I that's a hole in my um, a hole in my. Uh, in your Todd Salons filmography. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Right. <laughs> why? Why should we have a single episode where we don't mangle at least? One last name. We don't mangle or, someone's yeah, name. Offer. Yes. I'm surprised we know our own names, frankly. Anyway. Um, I think we have much more and more interesting things to say about the actual film itself. But it was good to kind of get some of this talked about first before we launch oh. into it. So, oh, man. Uh, Thank goodness. <laughs> without further ado, my quick take is that um, I found it a an easy film to watch it kind of just sort of welcomed me in it wasn't as you know comparing comparing the two movies a little bit but not really this whole thing of where this the, every every shot has so much jammed into it you know with the del toro approach this was much more spare both in terms of the the frame and the the story itself it's a much more delicate and a much more quiet um story and i'm not that familiar with her work but you've seen the piano sure i've seen the piano but i mean if we look at the date on that that's got to be you know 30 years ago something like, like that oh yeah that's yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while um so you know i didn't have as much a sense of her as a filmmaker and a storyteller going into this as i did um as i did going into um the other one, um, the cast is is very strong with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, who I, I'm sure I've said before that I love. I was not familiar with Cody Smith McPhee very much, but he certainly um, held. Has his he own. done anything else? Um, I'm not sure. Let's take a quick look and see if he's. Yeah, I'm sure he's done something. He's all set to do the David Byrne story, but you know beyond <laughs> that. When they put that together. Yeah. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. 
Yeah, he's been in, you know, X-Men. It looks like he's hooked into uh, some of the superhero movies. Um, And it looks like he did a series called Gallipoli. Um, Oh, they made a series out of that, did they? Well, four young Australian boys joined the military and are sent to Gallipoli. So I don't think it's probably the same plot as the other. You know, well, I don't know. If it takes place during the Boer Wars, it is. Oh, no, I'm sure it is the same war. I don't know that it's the same focusing on the same characters. I, 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 I hate to, to, okay. to do a little sidebar here, but <laughs> no. have you ever seen that original? I have. One of Mel Gibson's best oh, absolutely. movies and performances. Yeah. Um, very early in his career, he was fantastic. That was when he was Australian. <laughs> it was when he was Australian. He was, he was very raw, raw and... Um, and he doesn't. He hasn't built up all his tricks and quirks and and everything no. else. Uh, who knows what's lurking in his heart at that point? <laughs> but um, that movie's yeah. phenomenal. It is. It that is. movie's really phenomenal. Um, uh, so it looks like he's. He, he looks. Listen, that that uh, that actor has got thirty three credits, and many of them are are you know big movies. Okay. But also stuff where you might not necessarily you might not necessarily recognize him. So. Yes, all in all, I thought it was really interesting and very quiet, and um, that's all I'm going to say. What do you, what's your quick take? Uh, I thought that the, the the tone was appropriate. I thought the look was great. The performances were great. Um, I was not as... And I, well, I should say I was I was drawn in enough that I made... A healthy number of uh, wrong conclusions to jump to and, and second guesses. <laughs> yes. So I certainly thought some things were going to happen that totally did not happen, right. which I was glad was... about. But right. at the same time, I have to say there's, well, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to put this out there because it unfortunately created a bit of a distance for me between my heart and this movie. Yeah. Um, I think this is this this movie for me has become the last straw for tolerating the fact that the disclaimers that they put at the beginning of films warning you about, you know, mature themes and language and <gasps> smoking. Right. But they don't say dick about depictions of cruelty to animals mm-hmm. and it got to a point in this film frankly where as soon as like when the rabbit comes out i'm like oh great right you know how long before b-batch kills this one <laughs> or does something cruel to it yeah right. uh, it, it's i just find it extremely off-putting okay um stepping down off your uh, so uh, i mean I, unfortunately it, it well it kept me from from really getting emotionally invested in it. Okay. Um, you know, the very beginning of the movie when we're introduced to Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Um, they're riding on, they're, 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 they're driving the cattle and, and uh, Batch says to him, uh, you know, it, it looks like, it, you look like it pains you to hitch two words together. Now, while I like that line, yeah. and I thought to myself, that's a Dr. D line if ever I heard one. <laughs> Hitch two words together. Right. Um, I'll take it. I also felt like 
he was saying it as if this was new and unusual behavior. Right. And I get the feeling it wasn't. Right. Neither one of them were doing anything they hadn't done a hundred or a thousand times. For the last 25 years. Right. Especially since they're brothers. That just seemed like, I mean, there would have been a way to tweak that line, like, you know... I'm tired of you always looking like it pains yeah. you to hitch two words together. Right, right. Something, Something that, like that. Yeah, to just convey that, you know, this is part of their relationship. Right. Um, you know, and, and I I felt like the, the story got away from the conflict of the two brothers. Yes. I wasn't quite sure, like, what the... What role George plays in it? <laughs> yeah. It it definitely felt a little bit like the, the story or plot, such as, such as it is, meandered a little bit. You know, it, it didn't feel like... I, I wasn't sure who we were, who whose story it was. Because we yeah. start focusing on the two of them, and then we very quickly shift the focus a little bit more to Benedict Cumberbatch, and there's a scene in the dining hall where he's clearly the, you know he draws a lot of attention to himself story-wise. And so it took a little while for me to sort of realize what was happening. And probably another viewing would help where I wasn't playing catch up. Um, And then this very strange, you know, the woman who runs the place and she has this very strange son. I mean, he would be strange anywhere. He doesn't have to be on a ranch where it's all manly this and manly that. He's he's an odd and delicate flower, um, literally making the flowers and and like like the odd and delicate flowers he makes that he that he makes. And I and I did have that sense when I was watching that oh I think I think I'd be able to handle some of the t- passage of time and the shift from this character to that character better in a novel. That it well, it's funny you say that. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Please. Um, because uh, you know the 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 structure of this film with its 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 chapter oh, numbers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt a couple of times like they kind of cheated their way out of writing the aftermath scene, which would have been really difficult to write, probably. And that, but frankly, I felt like we we needed to see. Like for example, yeah. the the aftermath of the governor's visit, right, and that whole debacle. Yes, and her you know? with the not being able to play the piano and and essentially melting down, and then we never visit that as a never see how it's addressed with her husband. You know, never see George go to Phil and right. say, you know, why were you a dick? Why did you yeah you know, we destroy never this see meeting? How the fact that that event occurred affected remotely future events. And yet I feel like that kind of, that kind of uh, cutoff, that kind of mic drop of a chapter ending <laughs> yeah. would work, works a lot better in a book. Right. But or also, I could see that working a lot better in a book. Right. And, and then also in a book you have the opportunity, depending on, on the voice that you're using in the book, you have the opportunity to bring up little, it could be referenced again later without ever kind of, it could be referenced in prose in a way that, that resolves it without it being a scene. Right. right. Um, and so that it might have a, a, a more of a push deeper into the, 
you know, like the the, the psyche of the character yeah, rather and the, and than the story the action. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was some, uh, there was some of that for me and I did, I think you and I probably were in the, in the same category. I, I mean, Phil Burbank played by <laughs> B, B batch. batch. What did you call him? <laughs> B batch. B batch. Yeah. Um, is introduced as a very volatile and dangerous feeling character in this thing that he's going to be unpredictable that he's not going to follow along and do whatever behave himself the way everyone else behaves he's going to create awkward situations and possibly even dangerous situations that was how i felt meeting him and so i spent the whole time with this kind of knot in my stomach of what is this guy going to do what is he going to do next? What's, right. what's going to happen? What's the end here? What, what, am I, what do I need to prepare myself for? And then, then there's this little delicate, gentle flower of a, of a man-child. And you're like, well, this isn't going to go. This guy's going to crush him. Um, and so I started having maybe like, I started having definite of mice and men feelings. Oh, interesting. Where, where, uh, Peter Gordon, the character played by Cody Smith McPhee, is this gentle giant. He's standing in for uh, for Lenny, and and Phil Burbank is George, and eventually, Phil hmm. Burbank is going to have to kill him for some reason. It's going to get trumped up that he's going to kill that he's going to need to right. kill him. Right, I I, I kept, that, that was one of my 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 bad second guesses was I thought he's that's going to be his <laughs> killing the kid is going to be his weapon against. Uh, was Alice? What the hell was her name? Rose was the mother. Rose, of course. Of course, of course. Um, yeah. So the well, now Rose. you've called it your bad second guess. So now I feel like I feel like uh, I stand by that feeling I had. Was like I feel like this is what this movie is telling me is going to happen. Yeah. Um, up to and including, there's a fucking rabbit. There is a rabbit, and rabbits play a, a large part in, in Mice and Men, and even wringing the neck of a rabbit. So it, it, I started to go, okay, they are, that's their promise to me that I was right, <laughs> and so I will prepare myself for this. And then it starts to turn this corner, and you go, wait, there's a, there's a, a LBGTQ element here, and, and what's the story with Phil? And he has this interest in the boy. And, like, talk about scenes that you remember when – well, first of all, just Benedict Cumberbatch has this this hiding place that he's created by, mm. you know, it's walled off by bushes. He goes in and he's taking a mud bath, uh, you know, fully naked, rubbing mud all over himself, getting in the in the water, the pond there, and cleaning himself off. And we see that as its own little thing at one point. And then later, you know, just out wandering around in the back, you know, on the on the land. Uh Peter Gordon, you know, finds his way through the bushes and, and, and is watching him and doesn't scream and doesn't run and doesn't go, oh, my God, this is terrible. And, and, then, and then Phil realizes he's being watched and he, it doesn't escalate anything there, but it is the next time they're together that Phil takes him under his wing. Right. It's like, you saw me in my private place. You know who, you know, in some way you know who I am at my core. And so I'm going to take you under my wing. But I still went this isn't going to end well. This is, I, I didn't trust that. that oh was yeah. No, I mean, as soon as, as soon as they, 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 they cut to Pete stumbling along that inc 
incredibly accurate looking Montana tree and root scape. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I gasped audibly. Right. I, I, was, <laughs> I, I got the knot in my stomach. I was yeah. like, oh yeah. boy, this is going to so, be. But, and sure enough, end of chapter. Right. Right. Well, and then, that, but you see, and what that then does is it, you have that, that built up, you know, thing in you, that knot starting to develop, and then there is no resolution. There is no, and so it just keeps getting more and more. The tense. thing is, the, the thing to me is that the chapter divisions implied a passage of time. Yes. That uh, I don't think they meant to imply. Okay. Because I felt like at the beginning of each chapter, I was like, hmm, well, they're not addressing what just happened, so this must be days later. Yeah, in one of them. A couple weeks later. Now they're married, and they're all living in this, you know, there's big things have changed. The kid is now coming back from college. Right. In the first one, he was just a waiter. He was Well, just, it's just, I, I thought he was just coming back from his first year at college. Yeah. Think, but, they they yeah, make reference just, to him going the, back. It's the summer from yeah. the first year, but I don't think he was... I don't think college was in his future in the first chapter. I think he was waiting tables with his mom and, and that it was. The, yeah, no, there's no mention. There was, there was the no money mention. that a successful businessman, George Burbank, brings to it, brings to their right. life that makes this possible. And and at, you said before, like what happened with with George? He just seems to drift out of the story. He does drift out of the story. And there are scenes, there's a lovely scene where she teaches him to dance out in the, you know, out in the wilderness. There's no music playing, and it's just a very sweet and lovely scene, and it's like, you see that clip, and it's used in the trailer and a lot of the stills, uh, still advertisements. But um, it it just feels like he's just sort of circling on the edge of it. Well, I feel like it was... I don't necessarily want to call this a cheat. Yeah. But I felt like it unfairly avoided any addressing of whatever possible relationship George and Peter mm. had once he once George married his mother. Right. You know, basically the next time we see them together is when they're sending him off to college. Yeah. I think that's fair. I feel like it suffers from not having. And especially given Peter's uh, backstory with his father, I almost feel like we needed to see why he was gravitating towards Phil and not towards his stepfather. Right. The man who's now going to be the man in his life. Right, right. right? Well, but here's the, here's the real answer. I mean, even if, I, I still think that's missing, but the real answer is that, that uh, Peter sees in Phil a kindred spirit. I think, I think they are both gay. Well, yes. And that is why he's drawn to him. Ultimately. Well, I don't, possibly. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. I don't, I don't think Peter looks... I think before he stumbles upon him in his secret hiding place, I don't think Peter is 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 guessing that uh, that Phil is gay. I don't even know that Peter thinks that Peter is gay. Hmm. I mean, I I think it's a coming of age sort of thing with him. Um, I think I I, I think he is gay. <laughs> okay, uh, and that he you is- know if. Uh, 
Well, you know, there was that whole thing where he's like, oh, I, you know, I have one, one friend at college. He calls me doctor. I call him professor. She says, why don't you bring him around? He's like, no, I don't want him to meet somebody. Oh, okay. Right. Because I think he doesn't, he doesn't want to bring a guy friend home from college with, you know, the, the supposed homophobe looming large. Right. Right. So, uh... well, I mean, okay, I'm going to stand by, you know how you, you shot me down before. I'm going to stand by my, how do you... no, 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 don't oh, worry. Oh, I was no, an no, un- no. unintentional shoot down. <laughs> no, 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 before, when you were like, I kept, I kept, I can't remember what it was anymore, but I was like, I think X, and you were like, well, no, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, Sorry. No, 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 it's perfectly fine. I'm going to say that I am very comfortable inside myself interpreting the idea that there was an attraction between the two even if neither of them understood what was going on even while there was also a repulsion between them with peter and phil um and i guess we have to stay away from spoilers with this too but i do feel like um, we need to talk about that ending too because that's up for interpretation um Yes, but I'm like, how do we how do we discuss it without completely giving it away? I w- I will just say this. Okay, I'll follow your lead. I think I I think, um, I think the ending requires you to make great leaps in dot connecting than. Then I think most audiences are prepared to make because I I think what what I think what was to some extent intentional comes off as accidental. Oh well, that's you see I don't I don't know that it's intentional. I don't I don't know that I'm with you on intentional. Well, uh, okay. Spoiler alert, everybody just skip ahead to the next two minutes. If you haven't seen the movie yet, he does say at the beginning of the movie, boy's got to save his mother. What else could I do? Uh, okay. Okay. So that leads me to believe that when he, uh, offers up those rawhide skins. Oh, right. That he knows full well what's happening Uh, you know we didn't see him watch phil cut off balls but we can assume by now he knows phil does it barehanded right that phil does all that shit barehanded no 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 no, i understand i understand okay well let's not uh, i don't want somebody to come back in on this and, and get tripped up on it but um no so for for as much as i as i as i bemoan movies that spell everything out like you're an idiot. Right. I felt like this was almost a little too elliptical. Okay. Okay. To to truly be satisfying. Um yes. All right. Well, and I did notice that in the very end he is handling that gift uh very carefully. Peter the Peter character, the young man. I'm now being elliptical because I don't want to just say it. And, right. Um, right. That um, he's keeping himself protected from it. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, sorry to be But there sorry. was no shot of... <laughs> I don't know what that meant. <laughs> 
think we're on the same page, but in any case, um, I don't think we are actually. Oh no. Okay. Oh wow. Shit. But am I wrong that it's that it it's that that's like a, 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 quite a puzzle to figure out? Well, um, as I clearly didn't figure it out the same way you did, I'm gonna say yes. I, I'd rather have them do it the way they did it than make it any more clear. In fact, well, that's true. Kudos well, that's that they true. were able to not get studios to force them to make all these, all the dots you need to connect painfully obvious. Because I, I was so busy working on a story that they weren't telling, right? That I I must have missed some of these these connections. So that's some of the details. That's yeah. on me a little bit more. I might have been better able to. No, you are. Yeah, no, I I I I I think you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah. So what's interesting to me or whatever, I kind of want to shift into a, the kind of acknowledging the fact that they were, that they've been nominated, uh, that the, the Oscar part of it, do you have any more you wanted to say about this movie as a movie? My two favorites. Do you have a favorite scene? Oh, um, or is there a moment that jumps out at you? as like, Wow, that's phenomenal. I'll never forget this film because of that moment. Well, <laughs> you put a little bit more mustard on that than, than I think is the case. But um, So what's interesting to me, or whatever, I kind of want to shift into a the kind of acknowledging the fact that, they were, that they've been nominated, uh, that the, the Oscar part of it. Do you have any more you wanted to say about this movie as a movie? My two favorites. Do you have a favorite scene? Oh, um, or is there a moment that jumps out at you? It's like, wow, that's phenomenal. I'll never forget this film because of that moment. Well, <laughs> you put a little bit more mustard on that than I think is the case. But I'm going to say that uh, that that Phil in his secret place, both alone and when he's observed, affected me powerfully. Um, and yeah, the too. introduction of his character into that dining hall and kind of that, I think what I'll remember from watching this more is this incredible sense of dread that I had. Um, and I do feel like I want to go back and watch it, probably not soon, but go back and watch it and go, okay, you don't have to feel the dread. Let that go. You've had that already. And kind of re-experience it without that. Because I feel like that hmm. got in my way of enjoying what was really there. You know, I guess that's kind of the bottom line, is that I think this is a tough film to enjoy. Hmm. Interesting. Which, I mean, I'm no Pollyanna. I don't need <laughs> right. to laugh at every movie I see. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I felt it was a little ambiguous. It was a little too ambiguous. Right. I guess that and, might have been what and, I meant when I said in the beginning that it was soft. Um, yeah. And how about you? Was there was there a scene you'll never forget? As long as yeah, the, the 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 scene in his secret place, the, specifically with the scarf. Yes. Oh my God. The because scarf. the way he's he, the way he drapes it over himself, it's like this. It's this perfect balance of of sens of, of sensuality and 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 pleasure. 
with something you're not supposed to feel pleasure about right. and it wasn't overdone at all. Uh, yes, um, I completely forgot about Bronco Henry, this sort of legendary uh, character in Phil's life who taught him everything and the handkerchief itself has his initials on them. Does it? Yeah, I missed it that. has an H, okay. uh, HB, BH. You see it backwards, BH. so it looks like a... You don't see it... You see it through the handkerchief, so you're looking at the letters backwards. Right, right. Um, or something like that. I also... Uh, I like that moment at the end where Peter shares his cigarette oh, God, yes. with Phil. And there's that shot on his face, and suddenly that kid with half his face in shadow and half in light yeah. suddenly was like the most beautiful boy I'd ever seen. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I got to go back and watch this. I got to go back and watch this because I didn't have in my head that kid knows what he's doing. And just that scene alone, if you know he knows what he's doing, Do you know what I mean? It changes that scene. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because he he holds the cigarette for Phil. Yeah. As opposed to handing him the right. cigarette. So, I mean, A, it's certainly a metaphor for here's my little dick. Yeah. And B, <laughs> yes. it's making sure he doesn't pick up anything off of Phil. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that he's not... Well, contaminating right, himself. Right, that Phil's hands, Phil's hands aren't touching the cigarette. His lips are, so he can smoke. They can smoke it back and forth. They're basically sharing the cigarette. Correct. But if Phil never actually touches the cigarette, the boy is safe. Yeah. Oh, that's a that is a good scene. Damn it. Do you do you have a um? Do you have a uh, any final thoughts on? Power of the Dogs? I I admire the way it was directed. I thought the acting was excellent. My issues with it really are just with the the structure mm-hmm. of the story. Okay. I thought tonally it was it was it lives between the piano and there will be blood. What these what those two films have in common obviously other than both being westerns or taking place in a western setting. Um is that the characters make very unpredictable choices that are also quite believable. Right, right. And there's a similar sense of dread that permeates like an undercurrent. Oh my God, definitely, both, and there will be blood. Films. But I arguably feel in Will Be Blood, it, it kind of pays off in a way that it didn't pay off for me here. But now that I kind of understand this movie better, I think I do have to look at it again to give it a fair shake. Um and then I will say... I love, I love There Will Be Blood, by the way. I, yes. It's not something I am eager to revisit. It was extremely, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So you would, revisit, you would revisit Power of the Dog before you would revisit There Will Be Blood? Um, it's fine if you are. I just, want to, I just want to get that on record. Yes. This, that, is, this, is, this okay. is my statement in that regard. I take the fifth <laughs> so that I don't incriminate myself. No, I feel I got what... There will be blood had to give me. I got it. Like I, I absorbed it. Yeah. I feel like the power of the dog. I didn't absorb it properly, or I didn't. It didn't. It doesn't live in me where it should. And I don't think that's entirely your fault. Oh, I don't think it's my fault either. But I think reviewing power of the dog might 
a change the way it sits in me. I'll be very curious if if you do see <laughs> yeah. it again, how you feel about it the second time. I going into it with the knowledge that you that I have, you know, now. Yeah. Um. So my thing on it is, uh, I will say that I saw after watching it, I saw something. Maybe it was on YouTube. I'll see if I can find the link and include it in the show notes. Uh, a little making of type documentary that just mm. that just gave me. A, a, a new level of appreciation for Jane Campion and the work that she did as a director mm. getting those performances from the actors. Um, it's about 10, 15 minutes long, something like that. And it was well worth my time uh, after seeing the movie. I will check it out. And, uh, and then just on the Oscar front, I just want to say that, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, uh, Kristen Dunst, and Cody were all nominated. All of those performances, um, and I just that's interesting that the previous movie we were discussing didn't get those that level of attention for the actors. Um, we can debate at a, in an upcoming episode the degree to which we think that's fair. Yes, I definitely think that there's some there's some debatable debatable stuff going on there. But uh, it was also nominated for uh, adapted screenplay, so uh, which you know I think is you know valid. I guess. I mean, I feel like, well, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's it's incumbent upon one to read the source material in order to accurately it's, weigh that's, what kind of how good or bad the adaptation was. I think that's a I think that's a fair statement. And usually I would agree with it. But I'm trying to soften myself up here a little bit and go, look, if I think it was well written, then it doesn't matter what they did to adapt it. And generally speaking, I think this was was well written. Well, that's true. But then let me ask you a question. Yeah. So you take a play, like, let's say, argument's sake, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Okay. That's a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should that screenplay be nominated? Well, I mean, we can, yeah, we can say who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. We can say The Graduate, which was a book. And if you read the book, it's it feels like reading the script, dialogue, just boom, 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 boom. Well, I, I guess that's kind of my point is is if it's an easy lift, if it's an easy extraction, right? Then I feel like well, someone else really did the hard work. You just had the sensibility to pick the right scenes to include, the right lines of dialogue or whatever. Right. And I'm not saying that there's not, you know, something to that in terms of talent and artistry and everything else mm -hmm. but you know I, I i would be interested you know in reading the book before i can say whether or not. but i but i do take your point that you know if the script is good and it happens to come from something else well okay then it came from then it goes in this right, category right. it's still a great script right. yeah so that wraps up those two and then we're not going to do a full thing into this but let's just do like a 10 minute conversation here Five minutes for you, five okay. minutes for me, to just do a little spotlight on uh, another one of the nominees. Don't look up. Oh yes, <laughs> which uh, which I've only just caught up with, even though it's been uh, available for a little while. I don't know why I was standoffish on it, and uh, it was interesting to me in the beginning of this whole conversation with the two of us, where you were talking about we're going to be focusing on two of the darkest horses in the race, and I you know, thought, you know what, we have a third horse in this uh, dark, mm. dark, uh, dark story. But um, 
I really, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I felt like every everyone was spot on in terms of what they were doing acting wise, mm-hmm. and I thought that the, you know, it's Adam McKay directed it and probably right. I, I'm scrolling around here has a screenwriting credit with a shares story credit with a David Sirota. Yeah. And um, I thought it was witty and and th- thoughtful and biting and it had all the you know i think of things like uh, uh what was that one called wag the dog yeah. it reminded me a little bit of that but i i did not enjoy wag the dog it had some of those same sort of elements where you're looking at behind hmm. the scenes you know political chicanery or whatever but i did not know much if anything about this uh even just the credit sequence i love the the way they did the fading in and out of the the I don't know. I just from the very beginning, I was I was into it and really enjoyed it. And this is one of the performances for me that that Leo DiCaprio has given that I've liked him the most. I often really don't, I often I mean I would put um, uh, you know the Tarantino movie up there. Uh, Django. Django his performance in that, but I, I often have very little use for him. I often feel like he's a kid wearing his dad's suit and running around. And, Which is why he's, I think he's gravitating towards these darker roles. Well, and, and here it really, it, uh, it just suited him better. I don't mean to use the word suit twice, but it suited him better here than, than I have for a while. Um, and then I will come back and say one more thing about that. And Jennifer Lawrence, I enjoyed her. I thought Meryl Streep was good. Kate Blanchett was awesome. Yes, she was. Um, here she is. Chameleon. Here she is again. Yep. Um, yep. The the five minutes she has with uh, <laughs> Tyler Perry were hilarious, yes. I thought. Yes. She and Tyler Perry are great together. Uh, and this is just another one of these casts that just keeps rolling. Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, uh, the ever whatever, uh, Timothy, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Ron Perlman again. Hey. Look at him. Man, he's in two movies that were nominated for best picture as is uh Kate Blanchett. I didn't like him for the longest time until I saw this incredible French film called City of Lost Children. Oh. I'm sure I've seen it but I can't quite recall. <sighs> go look that I'll up. Go look it up. Um and so yeah, I I I felt in Nightmare Alley like I I I wouldn't have minded more of him and Willem Dafoe. I like them so much in those roles. Yes, yes. They both, everyone pretty much just seemed to put their role on like a <laughs> like a glove. glove. Perfect. Ariana Grande. Yeah. Ariana Grande was terrific. Oh yeah, that's you know, and that's the only thing about Don't Look Up that I kind of had issues with. I felt like there was a little too much attention on that character <laughs> and the song, and right. it was just like what. Why I, I didn't see what the point was of it, right? In the larger, I, I did feel story. like that the song she sings that that number went on longer than was justified for story yeah. content. Um, but it's just a it's an incredibly packed cast, and uh, and I say you know listen, uh, it's sort of a breath of fresh air when you compare it to these other two. I mean. It is about, you know, a comet plummeting towards the earth and, and how would people react. But I just felt like it was so on the nose the way, yeah. you know, uh, citizens were acting, the scientific community. They, it had so many parallels to this 
pandemic that we've lived through and whether or not you trust the science and climate change and climate and, change yeah. is there really a comet coming towards us i don't believe there is i do uh, uh and then the whole don't look up or just look up sort of right you know is mask and anti-mask and it's it was um it was very very um just the right time i felt for that that whole thing yeah and it did and it never got silly you know this is i i often feel like adam mckay's talent yeah. is greater than his work in a lot of cases that's a great and sentence that's this to me was like right this is what you should be right. doing so not ricky bobby and all that other right nonsense. i mean it's almost like you know a lot of times there are directors who do uh, humorous work earlier in their careers and then they become a little bit more serious and grounded mature. huh yeah mature mature yes um and i imagine that you know he goes around and makes those movies talladega nights maybe was one of them i don't know i'm just off the top yeah, of my I head believe so. uh that buys him the right to probably make the kinds of movies he really wanted to make that he put enough money in the right pockets that he's then given chances and i sincerely hope that this now ushers in a new phase for him yes even with this amazing cast that we're talking about with don't look up no nominations for any of the actors i i, I don't have a problem with that I don't have a problem with the performances not being I don't even, good as they were. Yeah, I don't feel like they have. There's a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah, especially in terms of arc and yeah, agreed. You know, emotional range. Right. Yeah, no, it, that's that's a totally fair. Yeah, not like Bradley Cooper who was robbed. But, <laughs> Hold you <know>. your tongue. <laughs> I'm holding. I'm holding. Believe me. We'll get into that next time. Believe or down, me. Down the road. Uh, absolutely. You okay. Can, you can vent about that later. Oh, and I will. So the one last thing I wanted to say about it, after having all the praise I just said, and specifically all the praise I just said about uh, Leo DiCaprio, I 100%, 100% think that that part should have been played by Matt Damon. Why? Because I think he would have been better. I just feel like Matt Damon would have been better. There's a little bit of comedy in that part. Just a few little things that Matt Damon would get that that he doesn't and when matt damon yells fuck because he's frustrated it it resonates from a different place mm. i think he's much more of an everyman and much more of a relatable guy and i feel like uh, uh dicaprio is not though true though he he they did do a great job of dressing him up like one of these stiff academic yes absolutely scientist types absolutely um and i thought josh uh Jonah, sorry, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. That's <laughs> great. I mean, as the, the chief of staff and son of the of the woman who is president, but you don't know that right away. Just like two or three scenes in, he says right. something. He says, oh, come on, mom. Or he says, mom, at one point. And you're like, wait. But he's perfect. He's He is so much like, you know, uh, one of those kids of Republican presidents. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, to me, I, I felt like he, he, he did what he usually does. Really? Oh, I yeah. thought he was a, yeah. a little toned down from that. I mean, to me, what he usually does is he's in first or second, at most third position, and he's always selling it to the back row. And I felt like here he was much more reserved, and he didn't sort of say, look at me in every scene he was in. He was really much more part of the ensemble here than I've seen him 
do before, uh, at least since like super bad or something like that. Um, yeah. I, I, did you see, um, what is it? War dogs? I did. I did. I can't remember that much about it. And Moneyball is supposed to be. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. A typical role for him yes. too. Right? I definitely saw it there and I, I was impressed by his work there. But again, the material here didn't have that. It didn't have that much to work with. Yeah. You know, but there would be little things where he'd just be off in the corner laughing at somebody when they were saying there was just lots of little things like, like, well, that guy's a little prick where it wasn't like his moment, but he, he was still playing it or whatever. Um, yeah. Oh God. And, and, uh, carrying his mom's purse is just so it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, okay. I think that it's time to wrap this one up more than time. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It really wouldn't be the same without you. Without you, we're nothing. We are in fact, nothing without you. As the good man says for now. And until next time, the doctors are out. Woo. Hollywood RX is a proud member of the Forwardly Podcasting Network. Find a link in the HRX show notes to visit their site, where you can find shows like, Bruh, It's a Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bruh, It's a Podcast. Every week we convince you why you shouldn't hate millennials. Best TV series of all time is Breaking Bad. Game of Thrones. Anything that's not the two of those. The best <laughs> series of all time is 24. Wake up. My love language is gifts because I love when women pamper me. You're also bro. Love languages are stupid. I don't have language. Speak to my penis. I don't know who Shade is. You should be shot in your face. I still don't know who Shade is. <laughs> the finest female singer of all time has to be Jennifer Lopez. Whoa! Yeah, if you take singer out of it. Check us out Thursday. Find us on Instagram, at Bruh, it's a podcast.